Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome to VAR at the Bar, episode 22. I'm your host today, Chris, and who am I with? I'm Dan. I'm Ant. As usual, how are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks. You are right. I'm good, thank you. What about you, Ant? Yeah, yeah, can't complain. Good, good, good. Big, week, big uh, weekend this weekend, isn't it? FA Cup semi-finals. How do you think it's going to go? No bias tree there, Dan. Your game first, but well, I think okay, we have okay. to start it off. Leicester well, Southampton, what do you reckon? I think it'll be a tight game because both teams are a bit low on confidence at the minute. Lost a couple of games, but um, I do honestly think that Leicester are going to edge it. I think it'll be Leicester Man City in the final. What about you, Ant? I think Leicester probably got just that little bit more, so I'm going to go with Leicester and I'm going to go Chelsea. Ooh. Yeah. You see, it's an interesting one with the Leicester Southampton. Obviously, there's a lot of history with what's happened in the last few years between those two. With the drubbing that you gave Southampton, I'm sure they they would like to repay you that, that favour again. Well, they did in the same season. They came to Leicester's place and beat them after that drubbing. <laughs> so it's um, not worth it. But, but also, though, these Leicester players need a bit of a slap on the wrist, don't they? You know, the COVID party. They've got something to prove, haven't they, after what happened um, at the weekend. So I yeah. think I, I think someone, it's a big game with James Madison's name on it, really. I think that he's got a massive point to prove, hasn't he? Definitely. Totally agree. He, he's not doing himself any favours getting on that plane for the Euros, no. is he? No. He's doing his best to have the summer off, isn't he, really? <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. <laughs> Um, especially like with Jesse Lingard on his sort of form that he's been on, it's going to be, I think, out of them too, I would probably say. And they've got Jude, Jude Bellingham's on the, on the rise as well. He might get a yeah. sniff. Yeah, Grealish is fit again. Yeah, exactly. So I know you've answered, he's just given us it, but the second semi final, where do you think it's going to go then, Dan? I'm going for Man City. Okay. I'm, I'm going to. Go with Ant on this. 
more, yeah. more, no, no, heart, not head. <laughs> yeah, um, there's more hope that Chelsea get into the um, finals. I, I'll be brutally honest. I don't want Matt. I, I really don't want Man City to do the quadruple because I just think <laughs> it, it would just be number one thing. It would never be bettered, and it, and number two thing. I think they stand a very good chance as well. To be honest, by the way, yeah. everything's going at the moment. Uh, it's scarily sort of pro- 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 a massive possibility. Yeah, it's all uh, falling into place for them, isn't it? Yeah. It, it would be a very Tottenham thing to do to go and win the League Cup, though. Against Spursy. Very Spursy. It would be yeah. a very Spursy Mourinho thing to do. <laughs> well, especially K- Kane's going to make his decision you know, about what he's doing um, future-wise at Spurs in the summer. He's going to bang in a last-minute winner, maybe. You never know. I don't. I don't think Spurs winning the League Cup is going to affect his future. I think he's made his mind up. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to go somewhere. Yeah, I do as well. It'd be very interested on who could afford him, though, wouldn't it? Because you know, in these times, he's not going to go go cheap, is he? He's probably cheaper than the Harland. Well, true. I don't know. I don't know about that. Daniel Levy will want an absolute fortune. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, Levy's not going to let him go on the cheap. Yeah, well, I'd imagine wage-wise, it'd probably be cheaper than Harland. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right then, shall we go um, through what we've got on then on this this episode? Um, yeah, what so, we got, Chris? Is that got the your good, bad, obscure, Dan? Start things off. Okay. Looking forward to it. Um, then we've got top five boldies. Uh, so obviously the top five, bit of a joke one for people like myself that hasn't got much hair. I um, hope, hope you got a full list of uh, top five there. You got some good ones there, lads. Do you think, or are you, are you keeping your cards close to your chest? I I literally picked the first five that came to my head. That's so fine. There's, there's yeah. no like thought behind it. I just thought right, ball players, and just listed them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, sh- no shocks on my list. I'm sure you'll uh, be able to chip in with a few thoughts on the names I've got for you. Lovely, Lovely stuff, nice and easy. Um, then we've got the main thing, top 10 players that have never played in a World Cup that really should have. Um, so obviously we'll discuss that more. Uh, how did you find that one, lads? So I decided to ask you this in the beginning of the episode for once. Um Easy-ish, but then there was a few ones that popped up. I was like, oh, I'm going to squeeze these in. <laughs> yeah, it was a, definitely an easier one. I did manage to get a list together pretty quickly, but then I sort of challenged myself. I wanted to get some that weren't um, obvious, so I did a bit more digging, and I've got some surprises for you. Good, good. Then we've got our normal uh, fantasy football, and we've got a guest uh, Warnock watch by Ants. Is this the first time you've ever done one for us? Second, second time. Second time. <laughs> second time on the job. That's good. And then you've got myself with a, a, a quiz to finish things off. A nice 15-question quiz. Could be uh, me to equalise Dan tonight, hopefully. <laughs> I big know. game. Big game. Wow. It's done, done well with a comeback there. <laughs> right then, before we... Um, Get properly started. I was reading in the paper this week, we were talking about Champions League here, that they're looking at getting rid of the array goals rule. I don't know if you guys are, are aware of this yet. I, I didn't see that, no. No, um, I wasn't aware. No, and they're thinking of just if 
keep going on to sort of an extra time sort of scenario if it's level one goals. I mean, what, what's your opinion on that? Well, the reason it exists for the in the first place is because it's it's harder to go to another ground, another stadium full of fans and play. So I think um, that's the history behind the away goals. I, I'm quite in favour of it, to be honest. I think it adds a bit of an interesting dynamic as well. There's a bit of strategy behind it. I think it gives it a real bit of edge as well, doesn't it? You know, yeah, say you're losing two nil, you bring it back to two one, and you know, it, like even if you lose a game three one and you're the away team, then you could go at home and win 2-0, win on the away goal. Yep. What, what do you think of it? Um, you know, I'm I'm not in favour of all this fixture congestion. And, you know, away goals probably stops extra time nine times out of ten. So I'm in favour of it. And, yeah, like, like Dan says, it is hard to go to another ground. Perhaps not at the moment in the current no. restrictions, but <laughs> certainly, um, certainly normal time, shall we say. It is hard to go to, you know, Anfield or Old Trafford and nick a goal and if if you do it's a great achievement Yeah I mean a prime example hypothetically might have been Wednesday night you know with Liverpool if they had a full crowd at Anfield 3-1 down um, early goal it's like the 12th man isn't it you know you've got something to chase Definitely and obviously PSG as well they did all the the groundwork didn't they in the first day they've got three away goals and you know, they, 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 I think they got through on away that those away goal rule, didn't they? Yeah, all right. It's two all, I think, in the end, isn't it? And yeah, they got two in Germany. So yeah, yeah. No, I just wonder what your thought was on that one, then, guys. Right, moving swiftly on. Good, bad, obscure, Dan. Let's have a let. Let's go for it. Okay, so uh, my entry for this week is Bernhard Troutman. Have you heard of the guy? And the only Troutman I know wasn't that Rambo's boss in the films. <laughs> <laughs> that was Troutman, wasn't it? There was another one in Breaking Bad as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't say I have, no. Okay. That's good. <laughs> so uh, Bernhard Troutman, he was born in Bremen, Germany, on the 22nd of October, 1923. Uh, he served as a paratrooper in the Second World War. Initially, he was deployed in Poland, but it was quite far behind the front lines. And uh, apparently he was a bit of a joker and he was a bit bored. So he used to play practical jokes on his uh, colleagues there. But unfortunately, one got out of hand and he ended up being a court martial after he burnt the arm of a staff sergeant. So he was imprisoned for three months while he was in the German army. <laughs> oh, my God. But then um, when he was sentenced, he actually came down with acute appendicitis. So he served the sentence in a military hospital. Uh, but after that three-month period, he was redeployed in the Ukraine. And it was during the confrontations there with the Soviet army that he earned five medals, including a first-class Iron Cross, which is a German military decoration awarded for bravery in battle. Uh, later, he was promoted to sergeant and transferred to the Western Front, and he was stationed in France. And he survived the Allied bombing of Cleve, but then he decided to flee back home to Bremen. It was only a few days later where he was actually captured by Allied forces in a barn. He was marched outside with his hands raised and fearing the worst that he was about to be executed. He managed to quickly jump over a fence and escape. Uh, But after uh, after he jumped over this fence, he managed to land at the feet of another British soldier who greeted him with the words, Hello, Fritz. Fancy a cup of tea? 
and he was instantly <laughs> captured again. He was transferred to a prisoner of war camp located in Ashton in Markfield, which is in Lancashire. Uh, he served his sentence there until 1948 when he was released. Uh, he declined the process of repatriation, so he did not return to Germany, and he settled in Lancashire working as a farmer and a bomb disposal operative. Uh, he used to train with football matches there that were held in the parks, and he joined in playing as a centre-back, and then he, he actually got injured and switched to being a goalkeeper. And uh, he played really well as a goalkeeper, so he decided to keep to the position. And later that year, he joined football team St Helens. His goalkeeping reputation steadily, drew, uh, steadily grew, and large crowds started to come and watch his performances, including a 9,000 attendance in the final of a local cup competition called the Marne Cup. Now, a, longer, a number of league clubs started showing interest amidst his reputation growing, and Manchester City were the first team to actually offer him a contract. They were a first division club at the time, and he joined them in October of 1949. Now, because he'd served in the war as a Nazi soldier, a lot of the Man City fans were unhappy about him joining their club uh, shortly after the war had ended. There were lots of letters of protest and threats from season ticket holders to boycott the matches. Uh, although he privately expressed some doubts about the signing, club captain Eric Westwood came forward and announced to the public, there's no war in our dressing room. Uh, also, the uh, local rabbi in the Manchester community, Alexander Altman, he wrote an open letter to the Chronicle appealing for Manchester City fans and the Jewish community to treat Troutman with respect. He made his debut against Bolton in November 1949, and after a good performance, a lot of the protests died down. Uh, but he did unfortunately continue to receive racist abuse in away matches, which shortly after the war against the Germans, you can kind of understand why that happened a little bit. Uh, it was in January 1950, which marked an away match against Fulham. And this match received a lot of media attention due to the amount of damage that was caused in London by paratroopers, which is uh, what Troutman was. He was a target for a lot of the crowd and they called him lots of names such as Kraut and Nazi. But after a string of quality saves, it kept the score down to 1-0 for a really well-fancied Fulham side against a struggling Man City team. Troutman actually received a standing ovation at the end of the match and he was applauded off the pitch by both sets of players. Uh, City were relegated that season, but they quickly returned to the top flight and Troutman then established himself as one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Uh, by 1952, his fame had spread to his home country and Schalke had put a bid into Man City for £1,000 for his services. And Manchester City refused the offer, saying that he thought they thought Troutman to be worth 20 times more than that offer. Now, for goalkeepers of Troutman's era, it was usual to kick the ball down the field as far as possible after making a save. But Troutman was influenced by the Hungarian goalkeeper, Julia Grozics, and he sought to start attacks by throwing the ball to a wing half, which was the formation at the time. Uh, the wing half would then pass it to the centre forward to develop the attacks. And this became known uh, for Man City's manager, Les McDowell, as the Reavy plan, because the manoeuvre was named after Don Reavy, who was playing centre forward for Man City at the time. Uh, in 1955, Troutman became the first German to play in the FA Cup final against Newcastle. Unfortunately for City, though, they were down to 10 men after an injury to Jimmy Meadows in the 18th minute. Uh, there were no substitutions in those days, so they had to play with 10 men for nearly the whole match. and They lost 3-1. 
but in 1956, um, Man City finished fourth in the league and Troutman was awarded the Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award. Uh, two days later, in the same season, he stepped out at Wembley again for another FA Cup final, this time against Birmingham City. And this was the match where Troutman's performance wrote his name into the history books. And Man City were 3-1 up with 15 minutes to go and Birmingham were launching counter-attack after counter-attack. And uh, striker Bobby Murphy was bearing down on goal and Troutman raced off his line and bravely threw himself into the legs of Murphy to gather the ball despite a heavy collision in which he was knocked out unconscious. He managed to continue the game, but it's clearly very wobbly on his feet and he was holding his head and his neck in pain. The match continued and he once again made a similar stop, throwing himself at the feet of the striker and blocking another certain goal for Murphy, despite his injury. And Man City held on due to his heroics and after the game he was awarded his winner's medal by the late Prince Philip. That's how old he was. <laughs> yeah, he met Troutman and handed him a medal and said, um, your neck looks a bit crooked, you should go and get that looked at. <laughs> Oh, uh, a few days later, he, he did indeed get his uh, neck x-rayed and it showed that he dislocated five vertebrae in his, his neck, uh, two of which were cracked in two. Uh, the third vertebrae was wedged in between against the, uh, the second and prevented any further damage, which could potentially have cost him his life. Uh, rehabilitation took several months, but Troutman did manage to play again, although uh, unfortunately he didn't uh, regain his best form after that injury. He did make over 545 appearances for Man City between 1949 and 64, and he ended his career with a testimonial in front of 60,000 fans. He is recognised as one of the leading goalkeepers of his era, and uh, although the German national team did not manage to call him up, this was put down to uh, both travel and political implica- travel and political complications, and that's why he wasn't selected. He did, though, captain an English 11 side against an Irish 11 and an Italian 11. And uh, got a couple of quotes from um, uh, one from Matt Busby, who said that uh, Troutman's anticipation about his anticipation. Don't stop to think when you hit uh, Troutman. You hit the ball first and you think afterwards. Otherwise, if you look up, he'll read where you're going to put the shot. Uh, Man City forward Neil Young, who played alongside him, recalled that the only way to beat him with a shot in training was to mishit it. And then another quote from Russian goalkeeper Lev Yashin, the only goalkeeper to ever have won a Ballon d'Or. He said that there's only truly two world-class goalkeepers. That's Lev Yashin and Bert Troutman. Wow. Talk about a a quote from the best, that is, isn't it? (laughs) Um, He was awarded an honorary OBE in 2004 for his work in Anglo-German relations. And this possibly makes him the only person who ever received an Iron Cross fighting for Germany in the war and an OBE from England. Wow. <laughs> uh, he received that award at the British Embassy in Berlin. And the following night, he went to a concert at the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. And there he actually met Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, she recognised him and said, ah, Herr Troutman, I remember you. Have you still got that pain in your neck? <laughs> Get all the queen. All right, that's all I've got. Wow, that is uh, one hell of a story there, Dan. I'll give you yeah, that. Good one. I do feel we need to change this to the goalkeeper that's really obscure 
instead of the good Bannum skewer, because you two are trying to beat each other on goalkeepers here. I don't stand a chance. <laughs> As the last episode, Ant said I needed to find another goalkeeper. And I thought, yeah, I've got one up my sleeve. <laughs> so it, the, it's now, it's, it's on now, mate. You've got to now try and beat that one. <laughs> I've got another goalkeeper, but it's not going to beat that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, then, another special breed then, nicely uh, leading on to. Great Top segue. five baldies or people with receding hair, <laughs> like myself. Um, right, we'll just fire it straight out. Uh, as you've spoken so long there, Dan, I'll go with Amp first, just to give you a breath back. Thanks. <laughs> All right. My my number one probably won't come as much of a shock to some of you guys, um, seeing as I've named a fancy team after him. John Joe Shelby. You can't get much older than Mr. Alopecia, can you? <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is a very good lack of hair. And also, I would have loved to have seen him versus Fergie when he got sent off against Man United on whether he would have actually hit him or not. <laughs> I think he would have. I really do think he would have. I mean, for amazing. an 18 year old, he was about 18, wasn't he, when he got sent yeah, off? Yeah, he was only a young lad. <laughs> no fit, no Fergie, fit. Fergie loved it, though. <laughs> Fergie loved it. Fergie was like, yeah, he's got some balls. Say that to me. <laughs> Great pass of the ball, but um, very bold. So, yeah. Nice one there, mate. My first one I've got is um, one that you would have heard of. He's the hoarding kicker himself, Tamori Ketsbyer. <laughs> Newcastle's own. The celebration where he kicked a load of balls. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, nice Georgian player there. And he was very bold. And uh, not not too much of a bad player, to be honest. Back on for the last ten minutes of a match. No, I remember him being quite decent back in the day. Yeah, he was he was, all, he was pretty skillful, to be honest. What about you, there, Dan? Your first one. Yep, I've gone for Zinedine Zidane, the big yeah, man himself. The big he's, he's on my list. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like you say, I've not thought about it too hard. I just wrote down the first ones <laughs> yeah, that came to mind. That, that's and... it, mate. He's not... <laughs> I remember when I first saw him playing as a kid and he stood out of the crowd because he, of his look, let alone his football ability, but his look as well, because he was um, he hadn't shaved his head by that point. So he, was looking, he had a very monkish look, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love it. What about you then, Anthony? So you go with Zidane as your next one? Yeah, I might as well, yeah. Yeah, well, I've gone with the monkish look as well. I've gone with Lechkov, the um, midfielder, Bulgarian, oh. 1994, that which uh, sort of surprised me a little bit, but had a good team back then, didn't they, the Bulgarians? So, fair play. Yep. Okay, Dan, your next one there, mate. I've gone for the Bold Eagle, Attilio Lombardo. Hey. Uh, I've spoken yeah. to man before, so I left him off. <laughs> yeah, there's only it's one, isn't there? It's in his nickname. It's uh, such a legendary look. You're good. But you then, Ant? I think he counts. Uh, Pepe Reina. Yeah, I'll give it to Yeah, definitely now he 
see him at Villa. He's he's more <laughs> bald than he isn't bald, so yeah, I'll give that one. No, that's a good one, mate. Liverpool legend. I've gone um, to Spain for this one, and that's Ivan De La Pena, defensive yeah, midfielder. Yeah, what about you there, Dan? Next one. Uh, it's one that you've mentioned before, Fabian Bartes. Oh, he's yeah, he's a nice. Yeah, I mean, his crew doing kissed. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be the Laurent Blanc kissed before the match, uh, every international match, wasn't it, for good luck? Yeah, very it's famous baldy there. He's probably still standing there flagging the cameo offside, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, next one. Uh, Iron Robin. Yeah, definitely in his uh, Real Madrid days. Certainly in his later I'm years. Unique. Yeah. I've got, um, for mine, I actually had Bartes as well. So what's your, your next one there, Dan? My next one, I've gone for Bobby Charlton. Oh, oh, the old yeah. comb over. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> comb over flailing in the wind. <laughs> it's a great look. No, that's a good one. I like that one. What about you then? So I've gone with Mr. Holmes under the hammer, Dion Dublin. Oh, yeah. yeah thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Coventry's own, Port Villa's own. His shiny bonnet um, showing everyone around the houses nowadays. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah. No, that's a good one as well, mate. Yeah. My last one is uh, Stelios, the Bolton player. Gianna What's Coppolis. his surname? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his name to me is Stelios, thank you very much. And then your final one there, um, Dan. Oh, my final one, I've actually made a few notes on him. Ooh. Oh, it's uh, Stig Tufting. Remember him? I know was the he name. Bolton? He was a Bolton player, yeah. Yes, yeah, I remember him. It's a bit of a bit of a maniac, if I remember rightly. Yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why I put him on the list. He was, um, yeah, he was a baldy. He was a bit of a maniac. He was just that sort of psychotic, bold villain from a movie look. <laughs> but um, I've made a few notes on him. Apparently, when he was age thirteen, he came over to discover that his dad had shot his mum and then turned the gun on himself. Oh God! Yeah, uh, I've noted that he um, he has lots of tattoos all over his body as well. And uh, after he retired from football, he took up boxing. And he um, he said publicly that he used to like fighting because he can get all his aggression out. <laughs> it's clearly a disturbed person. Um, when he played football, he just unapologetically scythed down players. Um, I was, uh, was going to say, I just I just Googled him because I couldn't remember what he looked like. And the first picture I found was him with a, his hand around Robbie Fowler's throat on international duty. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, Funny um, enough, how you uh, mentioned the Danish uh, football. There's another one as well that I forgot to. Put. I was just sorry. I was just about to say, Chris. Um, he he um, he got a, a prison sentence for um, attacking somebody, attacking a cafe owner during his football career. He had to serve four months in prison <laughs> during his Bolton spell. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. He could actually be the missing Mitchell brother from EastEnders. <laughs> Well, this this picture that I found, funny enough, which I'm guessing what Chris was touching on, Thomas Graveson's the other side of Robbie Fowler. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I was thinking of exactly. You mean the poker extraordinaire? If you can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's him. 
No wonder Denmark was so good in those days. They were petrified of going through the midfield, weren't they? Yeah, those two and the Loudrup brothers. I mean, what more do you need? <laughs> Talk about the good, bad and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, thanks a lot for that, guys. That's a nice little light-hearted look at that. Um, got a few social media ones. Uh, Chris Kelly has put um, Gianluca Vialli, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am Robin. And uh, Roberto Carlos, which of course, yeah, another yeah. good one. Um, Stu from the Stu and Al pod, he put Gianluca Vialli, of course. Um, from the 80s and 90s uh, football, they've put um, Antonio Lombardo. Uh, Dan Wade's put Tamori Texfire. And then um, Alex has, has put a list of obviously ex. Newcastle players, as he always does for every list, um, which I'll start from number five, as you do. That was Antonio Lombardo, then John Joe Shelby, uh, Gabriel Abartan, then Tomori Kexpire, and then Alan Shearer as his number one. Lombardo didn't play for Newcastle, though. He did say he put four, four oh, Newcastle okay. in one yeah, you couldn't think of another bold uh, Newcastle player, I'm afraid. So, okay, so our next segment then is Warnock Watch with uh, with Ant this week. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, so when we last left them, they'd just lost a fellow promotion hopefuls, Millwall, and April proved to be a really bad month for Borough so far because they've played three fellow promotion candidates and have only picked up one point. So they started off with a three-one loss away at Bournemouth managed by former Borough boss, Mr. Woodgate. Um, Warnock was full, full of praise after the match for his side, stating that there were many pluses and he felt sorry for Borough midfielder Sam Morsey, who deflected in one of the goals. But then he was quite cutting about Bournemouth, saying that if they don't go up this season, he has no hope for the next season, whereas Borough have some promise. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Any, Interesting. Anyway, three three days later, they hosted another promotion hopeful, Watford, and they were rescued by a late Yannick Balassi goal. And Warnock joked in the post-match interview that he had to laugh that Yannick came over to take the free kick. I said to him, get in the box and do something. And he did. <laughs> That's what Yannick can do at that level. I'm not no, sure about Premier yeah, League. And then um, they took on Barnsley, who were obviously also chasing chasing promotion um, Barnes, Barnsley beat them a few days later and he just said we should have been two goals up two good chances really um, and you know you're not going to get many in a game like that because the ball is never on the floor if we're two goals up I think we win the game then to concede when we did is ridiculous really you know it sounds like uh, the stress is getting to him a slightly a little bit I think I mean looking at the table they're now currently 10th uh, 14 yeah. points behind sixth place with five games to go. I'd say it's safe to say that they're, they're not going to get into the playoffs this season. I think so. I think so. But then he came up with, a, with another cool of a story, as he always does in one of his press conferences, about um, he was asked about Jose Mourinho. Um, and he jumped to the defence of the, of the under-fire Spurs boss. And he said he has a lot of time for him and that his wife Sharon likes him a lot too. And apparently Jose sent a letter to Sharon, the picture of the two managers together, captioned, your two favourite handsome men. <laughs> and, and he said, he's a handsome man, isn't he, old Jose? Um, 
he might not be everyone's cup of tea, but you only have to look at what he's won. We still text each other a few times a year. You have to admire people like that. Um, yeah. Are you sure he's not trying to make moves on Sharon? That's what well, I'm doing. Well, you know, Jose's trying to get in with a bit of um, <laughs> Mrs. Warnock. Well, it's a bit of a shame, though, to be honest with Burr. I mean, they've now obviously 14 points behind playoffs. It's very unlikely they're going to go up. It's sort of gone a bit wrong, hasn't it? All the wheels have come off a bit. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was sort of make or break this month, really, with who they were playing. And like I said, they only got yeah. a point. I mean, they were tough games anyway. But Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, they had to yeah. win those games, didn't they, to have a chance? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to see sort of Barnsley up there. No one would have thought that at the start of the season, would they? <laughs> oh, no way, no. So much so that Crystal Palace are sniffing around their manager. Oh, really? Oh, OK. How did it here first? <laughs> it was in the paper the other day so I don't think we've got an exclusive oh. <laughs> no no thanks for that Anne. yeah that right, man. nice refreshing change um, right then shall we go if that's okay Dan to fantasy football if that's alright yep can do so top of the league with 1,982 points is Clerk de Cruz He's still top. He's got a 23-point lead over Altieb Hamid. Now, the top scorer last week was Ant, so he's ruined my score. <laughs> <laughs> no shout-outs for anyone this week. But um, 87 points, that is very impressive, Ant. So, well done. Well, well done, Ant. Was it the Stuart Dallas uh, trick? Well, I'll tell you what, he was on my bench. <laughs> oh, you didn't I was, play him? No, I, I thought there's no way Leeds are going to get anything at Man City. Yeah. The way they're playing, so I thought I'll yeah. put him and Bamford on the bench. Luckily, Dallas was like top of the bench, and then I spent the rest of the weekend like stressing because like, like who 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 in my team might get dropped or might be injured, <laughs> and it was the final game. Calvert Lewin was injured. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I, I did a little jig around the living room. I was like, get in, <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> that was seventeen points as well. That was. Uh, well, that's, that's a funny story. But um, so, and uh, you've got 1,770 points. You're sitting 12th in the league. Chris, you've got 1,640 points. You're 24th. And I'm down in 27th place now with 1,608. Oh, I've I had still absolute... don't trust him, though. He's done this before, hasn't he? No, <laughs> no I've had stinkers the last two weeks. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm out for the season. <laughs> the trouble with Man City is you don't know who they're going to play. No. At the moment. They massively rotate, don't they, at the moment as well. None of my three Man City players played last week. <laughs> I've got about 20 points each of the last two weeks. Oof. Yeah, it's been rough. But yeah, that's uh, it for fantasy football. But you know what? It's actually nice to hear one of us actually doing something decent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ants flying the flag for us. It's quite refreshing. I, f- I feel like the reason we've done this is there's been all, all for a reason now <laughs> that ants actually got himself a shout out. <laughs> I'm determined to crack the top ten. That's my ambition. <laughs> yeah, you're in twelve, so you got a fair. I'm shout. not going to catch Mr. Clerk de Cruz. <laughs> you, you need to tweet Stuart Dallas and say thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Right then, for our main feature then this week, our top 10. So like I've said at the beginning, 
top 10 best players never to play in the World Cup. Dan, would you please give me your top 10, please? All right, for number 10, I've gone for Laurie Cunningham. Oh, not the name Is I he have. England international, was he? He did Irish, play for England. He? No, he played for England. Oh, I thought it was Real Irish. Madrid. He played for Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he um he was part of the three degrees at West Brom with Cyril Regis and Brendan Batson. And uh, this was when West Brom became one of the most uh, attractive and exciting England sides to watch in the 1970s. And to this day, there's a statue of all three of those players um, in West Bromwich New Square to uh, reminisce of the glory days. Uh, they actually went on a um, UEFA Cup run and um, Cunningham scored a memorable goal, memorable goal past uh, Kempes of Valencia in a UEFA Cup tie. Uh, he was the first black player to play for England under 21s in 1977. And his pace and trickery caught the attention of Real Madrid. And in 1979, they purchased him for £950,000 back in 1979. Wow. So a big sum of money. He was the first British player to play for Real Madrid. And he was only the second ever black player to play for Real Madrid. And that was after Brazilian World Cup winner Didi. On his debut for them, he scored a brace. And then he scored again in the next game. And his best performance came in a 2-0 away win at Barcelona, where he had their fullback on toast for the whole game and he scored the second goal in the match. His performance was so good that the Barcelona fans began to applaud Cunningham, which is a significant and rare moment, if you can imagine Barcelona applauding a Real Madrid player nowadays. It just wouldn't happen. Uh, he helped Real Madrid to the La Liga title in 1979-1980. And he played 29 of their 34 league games that season. And he also lifted the Copa del Rey that year. And he earned six caps for England between 79 and 80. But um, Madrid, they were very reluctant to release Cunningham for international duty. And there was some disputes over that. Now, in the seasons that followed, Cunningham wasn't quite able to repeat his performance level. And he did actually come in for some criticism in Madrid for being inconsistent and lacking competitive spirit. Uh, he broke his big toe in a match and he was found shortly after in a nightclub wearing his cast. Now, the background is that um, Laurie Cunningham, he always used to like dancing. So he never used to go out drinking, but he used to go to the clubs all the time because he liked dancing so much. Uh, it didn't go down very well with the uh, the press in Spain or the, the higher ups in Madrid. He was a bit um, taken back by it. He didn't think it mattered how he spent his free time, but uh, apparently they had a different way of thinking in Madrid. Despite all the animosity, he was rushed back from injury, though, to play in the 1981 European Cup final against Liverpool. They thought that um, having Cunningham in the side would immediately uh, put the scares into Liverpool, but it proved not to be the case, and Real lost 1-0, unfortunately. I say unfortunately to two Liverpool fans. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his time in Madrid was up and uh, he'd signed a series of short-term contracts across uh, England and France and Spain, including short spells at Man United and Leicester City. But he actually joined Wimbledon just before the 1988 FA Cup final against Liverpool. And he started for Wimbledon in that final, which they won 1-0. Oh, you had to get that in there, didn't you? Yeah, well, a give and a take. <laughs> Uh, after that season, he signed. Um, he left Wimbledon straight after that, and he signed a contract with uh, Rayo Vallecano in Spain. 
but sadly he died in a car accident there at the age of oh, 33. God. You know what? I didn't even know he played for Wimbledon, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. all I've got on him, I'm afraid. But, um, no. but at his peak, he was a very talented player. He only played six caps for England, though, and he, he never played in the World Cup. So sad, isn't it? So tragic. That's a wonderful header from Regis for Cunningham, and if he keeps his head, he'll score. That's another goal worthy of this game. Cunningham put through by Regis. Houston's tackle was too late. And Cunningham's shot leaves Bailey stranded. I'll go next if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. I've got Georgie Kinkladze. You got that, him on your list? No, hey. not on my list. It's called actually the the uh, mini Maradona when he had a little stint at uh, Boppy Juniors. Uh, he's an attacking midfielder. Like I say, he played in his native Georgia. He shot to fame with uh, two goals in two World Cup qualifiers against uh, Wales, which I tend not to remember personally, in 1994. And the beat Wales 1-0 at uh, Cardiff Farms Park and 5-0 at their ground in front of 50,000 people at the stadium. Uh, Like I said, he went to Boca Juniors and... Everyone saw him almost like a mirroring, mirroring a little Diego Maradona there, but it didn't quite work out. And um, Man City actually saw footage of him and decided to take the risk in actually buying him for £2 million in 1995. Uh, a lot of people sort of doubted their decision with this, but he definitely hit the ground running. And was actually um, one one of the BBC Match of the Day's goal of the season, which he came second, second in. Um, he he did very well at, at, to start off with in the Premier League. He had incredible acceleration, turn of speed, was quite strong on the ball for being someone so quite small and nimble. And he really sort of stuck out as quite a big sort of the main player at Man City, and created a lot of goals for Niall Quinn at those times. During his times at Man City, he was named Player of the Year for two consecutive seasons. And the manager that brought him in, Frank Clark, unfortunately was sacked and was replaced with a more defensive-minded Joe Royal. And unfortunately, uh, the way that Joe Royal played had no real space for him at Man City. So he, he was then let go. Uh, he scored. He made 106 appearances and scored 20 times and was signed up by Ajax for £5 million in 1998, which obviously was a profit of about £3 million. Uh, he started out quite quite well with linking up with Yari Littmanen, but um, a lot of fans um, got quite frustrated with him due to his poor work rate and his inconsistency in games. He used to flitter, flitter in and out of games quite a lot. Um, so back in 2000... Back then, Derby manager Jim Smith brought him back to England for three million. But he, this time, he sort of struggled a little bit at Derby due to the formation that Jim Smith had, the four-four-two. Into a couple of years down the line, Derby got relegated, unfortunately, and they had massive financial problems off the pitch. 
and King Clancy was one of the few people that actually wanted to get the contract he deserved and sort of ran down his contract instead of sort of leaving for a lesser amount. By that, he was a bit scapegoated by Derby. But eventually, he did leave to join um, Cypriot Club and Anarthis, where Kets- uh, Tamori Ketspire, his uh, international teammate, was also playing him. Uh, that followed the year after with a move to Ruben Kazan. And then in 2006, he hung up his book, hung up his boots. So, yeah, I think as a whole, with Georgia, he's just unfortunate that he's in such a small country. And I think he was a fantastically talented player. That's why I put him at number 10. Fair enough. Yeah, it was definitely good in his prime, wasn't he? When he was at Boca and Man City. He was great, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. Very average Man City as well at that time, really. But he stood out in the whole Premier League. He yeah. stood out, didn't he? Yeah. Apparently, he was being looked at by all the big clubs back then. Madrid, Barcelona, Inter Milan. They were all looking at him, but no one actually came up with any firm offers. Cloudsy will try and beat his man and suddenly space opens up. Still King Cloudsy inside the penalty area. This will be a fantastic goal. Oh, that's mesmeric. It's sublime. And it's typically Georgi King Cloudsy. A footballing moment to treasure. One that in the minds of the 20,000 plus present at Main Road will forever be etched in the memory. And have you got your number 10 there at all? Uh, I have. Yeah, so I've gone with um, Josiah Swart, Mr. Ajax. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, He made 596 appearances in total for Ajax, scoring 217 goals. He won eight league titles, four Dutch Cups, three European Cups. Um, He only ever made 31 appearances for for the Dutch team three of which came in World Cup qualifiers, 10 goals in total in, in on the international stage. Um, part of the reason why he never made it to a World Cup uh, final was because um, he played for Ajax between 1956 and 1973, and Netherlands didn't qualify for a World Cup between 1938 and 1974. In 1974, I believe they came second. I think it might have been Germany beat them. Yeah, it just it, it's sad in a way that he he was this great Dutch striker that played all his life in Holland and was prolific, and yet the, the Dutch team never qualified for for World Cup tournament. Yeah, it's mad, it's, isn't it? It's just mad. It does happen, doesn't it? There's big countries don't qualify for tournaments, and then you've got. Because you're going eight years between tournaments, certain players, they, they're prime passes. Yeah. I think of English examples where we missed out on the 94 World Cup. Yeah, that, yeah but every country's got certain examples. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why I put him in at number 10, because it's such a prolific yeah, striker, cool. unfortunately, never sampled. Yeah, it's um, a good shout. Good it it didn't, didn't quite make my list, but I definitely looked at him. No, no, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, okay, uh, Dan, your number nine, please, mate, if that's okay. Yep. Uh, my number nine is Abidi Pelle. Oh, yeah. 
Is he the Ghanaian guy? That's right, Marseille. Yeah. Yeah. Played for Marseille. Yep, yep. Yeah, he just just missed off for me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So yeah, he was an attacking midfielder, and he was known for his uh, speed, close control, dribbling skills, as well as uh, passing and goal scoring ability. He had nicknames of the Maestro and the African Maradona. And uh, he was re- is regarded as one of the greatest African footballers of all time. He captained the Ghanaian team. He made 73 appearances for them and scored 33 goals between 1982 and 1988. But unfortunately, Ghana didn't qualify for a World Cup during that period. He was spotted by a small French club called Neurot in 1986. But then he was quickly snapped up by an emerging Marseille team. And he became part of uh, the magical trio with Chris Waddle and Jean-Pierre Papin. And he became a key figure in the Marseille team as they began to dominate the French league and become a leading power in European football. He played in the 1991 European Cup final defeat to Red Star Belgrade, and he also played in the 1993 Champions League win. Uh, he had spells after at uh, Lyon and Torino and 1860 Munich before finishing his career at Alain, where he scored 28 goals in 31 games. Uh, the only other note I've got to add is that uh, his sons are Jordan Ayew and Andre Ayew, who uh, obviously play football in England these days. Oh, wow. Okay. Didn't know that. I think he actually set up the the goal for Bowley to head her in as well in that final. Ah, oh, did he? his right? cross from right. But no, that's a good one there. Nice one there, mate. Okay, uh, my number nine, I don't know if you've heard of him, is Bern Schuster. Schuster, sorry. <laughs> no, I've never heard of him, mate. You know, we haven't mentioned him many times. He's um, my number four. Oh, he's is he? My, he's my okay. number four. Oh, okay. I'm save it until we get to number four. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. That's fine. No problem. Um, and your number nine, please. I've gone with Mr. Eric Cantona, another unknown. Yeah, he's my number number three. Oh, okay. Ooh. I might have to save him then. I've I've not put him on my list, if I'm honest. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we move on. <laughs> All right, number eight, I've gone for Dilio Onis. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, I hadn't heard of him either until I... Did a bit of research and found this guy. So he was uh, from an Italian family. And while he was a child, they, his family emigrated to Argentina. So he started off playing for a team called Almagro and then quickly got snapped up by Gymnasia La Plata. And he soon became their star striker with 53 goals in 95 appearances. Now he was the very definition of a fox in the box. He had predator instincts. He was able to beat the offside trap. And he'd always be in the right place at the right time. He scored solo efforts from inside the box and from outside the box. And it was clear that he was a complete striker in the making. And he started to attract a lot of interest from Europe. And in 1971, he was signed by Stad Reims at the age of 20. He hit the ground running and he scored 39 goals in his first 74 games in the French top flight. 
He then moved on to newly promoted Monaco in 1973, and he went on to be their top scorer in each of the next seven seasons, scoring 187 goals in 232 league appearances. This included carrying the team on his shoulders and firing them to the league title in 1977-78. In 1980, he signed for another newly promoted team called FC Tours, and with them he scored 64 goals in 110 league appearances, again in the French top flight. And after that, he had another spell at a newly promoted French team called Toulon, and he's got another 39 goals in 74 league on games. And then he retired in 1986. So in total, he was the league's top scorer on five different occasions. And to this day, he remains the all-time top goal scorer in League One with 299 goals. Uh, despite all this, though, he was never called up for international duty with Argentina, who preferred the likes of Kempes and Bianchi. So that's uh, Delio Onis, the, uh, the all-time top goal scorer in the French League. Well, I can safely say I've never heard of him before. Uh, to be fair, I hadn't until I came across him. But um, I was taken back by some of those stats. Wow. That's a very good one, mate. You had to probably do some digging for that, didn't you? A little bit, little bit, yeah. That's very good, mate. Very good. Okay, my number eight I've gone with is Ian St. John. What about you? Anyone? No. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, so he played for his hometown club, Motherwell, in 1956 for five years, scoring 80 goals in 113 appearances. And that time, he actually scored the quickest hat-trick um, for Motherwell, which was two minutes and 30 seconds against Hibs. <laughs> uh, he moved to Bill Shankly's Liverpool for only 34 £7,500. But back in 1961, that was a club record. I guess that would probably be equivalent now to about £37 million. <laughs> uh, he made his uh, debut for Liverpool in Merseyside Derby in the Liverpool Senior Club. and They lost 4-3, but he actually scored a hat-trick. Uh, one of the most... Uh, Famous goals that he actually scored was against Leeds in the FA Cup final in 1965, scoring the winner in extra time. And that's the first time that they won the FA Cup in the whole of their, at that time, 73-year history. He was obviously an absolute um, hero in Merseyside for that. In the summer of 67, uh, Tony Haitley arrived to take over the number nine shirt. So he moved back to become more of a playmaker instead of a number nine. So obviously that lessened his um, goal ratio slightly. Uh, so we, we now in 1971, he moved to Coventry, but he left Liverpool um, with 336 appearances and 95 goals. Um, in 1973, he then actually decided to, to take a bit of a dab hand at uh, managerial work and was then Motherwell manager. And obviously after you know that, he then joined uh, Jimmy Greaves on ITV to do Saint and Greavesy as well. <laughs> but internationally, on a side note, uh, he had 21 caps between 1959 and 1965. 
He, he, he scored nine goals. He, he actually scored a double against Czechoslovakia in the World Cup qualifying playoff in November 1961. What actually happened there was that they actually had, in those days, three team groups. And them and Czechoslovakia actually finished on exactly the same points. So instead of going to goals scored, they just played another match. Uh, and like like this, unfortunately, in this case, it didn't quite work out, and they ended up losing four two after extra time. So yeah, that's why I put him at number eight. He's a bit of a hero, obviously, in Merseyside. And to be honest, it's just amazing that he didn't really get a chance to um, have a go in the World Cup. Yeah, were lasting better than their opponents. Sinjan made no mistake this time. So the Marathon Cup final was all over and Liverpool were the winners. You're the great now, Ant. I've gone with Liam Brady. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ireland's own. Yeah. So, I mean, he's widely regarded as the finest player that Ireland's ever produced. Um, He established himself in the 1970s as a playmaker with Arsenal. Uh, he then made the rare move of jumping ship to Italy, where he won uh, Serie A, uh, two Serie A's in 1981-92. Um, he was the 1979 PFA Player of the Year, um, but he never played tournament football for Republic of Ireland, despite only 72 caps. Part of the reason is because he never quite saw eye to eye with Jack Charlton, um, which cost him a place at the World Cup. He was famously reluctant to embrace the Englishman's direct style of football. And so he got marginalised. And he, he then announced his retirement midway through the qualifying campaign for Italia 90 after Charlton subbed him off at half-time in a friendly in West Germany. But then Ireland qualified for the tournament, so Brady declared himself available once again. But Charlton <laughs> favoured those who'd stuck with him that the qualifying campaign. And um, he never played for Ireland again. Yeah, unbelievable that was really, wasn't it? I think it was a real shock with the fans that he didn't at least go to to the World Cup. A lot of people thought he was actually going to probably play a big part in it. But, but you know, you know what it's like. You cross a manager and they they don't like you. That's it. You're out. Three waiting again for the cross from Price Stapleton. Oh. Rice in there. Oh, Brady won it beautifully. Look at that! Oh, look at that! Right then, Dan, what's your number? Are we on to number seven? Yeah, number seven now. I've gone for Lachko Kabala. Oh, here's my number two. Um, yeah, he's my number two. Okay, Ooh. better save that one then. Yeah, yeah, we will. Okay, my, my number seven is Andre Mazzelli. Ah, okay. It's not on my list. Not on your list? No, name rings a bell, but uh, no. Okay. They nicknamed him Albuzo, the diver. He was a goalkeeper. He played for Nacional in Uruguay. Spent his whole career there. 11 years, from 1919 to 1930. And yes, that is me doing a 
a pre-1992 <laughs> one, uh, is a member of the national side that won three domestic cups and leagues, sorry. Um, their nearest rival was Penarawa Band. Um, he was actually the starting keeper for Uruguay in the Olympics in 1924-1928. And then from that, they actually then created the World Cup. And if you see on the Uruguayan shirts, they've got two stars, and that's part of their um, emblem, which shows that you know they count the Olympic wins basically almost as World Cup wins. They won two World Cups, haven't they? Uh, yeah, well, the first one was in 1930. Okay. And they were heavy favourites. And uh, the manager at the time, or the technical director, Alberto Sapini, gave the players strict instructions not to leave the ho- hotel after a certain time, as there's a curfew. So this, this player, uh, Andreas Mazzelli, um, broke it. So he was suspended and um, never played in the tournament and never played for Uruguay again. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was quite a harsh um, ending to his career there. But That is harsh. They, they won 1930, 1950 World Cups. Yeah. Right, right. 1950 is the one that they beat Brazil. And yeah. that I talked about in that rivalry many, many podcasts yeah. ago. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're number seven there, man. I've gone with... God, I wish I hadn't changed the order. I've confused myself. Um, <laughs> Ryan Giggs. Always okay. one number four, but just might, might, might as well speak now if, if he's not... I mean, I, I've, I'll be honest with you, I've not written hardly anything for him, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been the same. I've put him at number five and not written much about him. <laughs> I mean, all I've heard is that he's, you know, one of the most decorated players in the history of the game. Uh, he's won nearly every domestic and European trophy going, and yet, unfortunately for him, he played for Wales at a time that they didn't quite have anyone around him of his ability to help them get into a major tournament. That is yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> if I'm being honest, that's all I put. There's not much to be said, to be fair. Um, he's, he's made he over himself, a, doesn't he? A thousand appearances for club and country at the highest level. Uh, 13 Premier League titles, five FA Cups, three League Cups, two Champions League titles. Instead, what I've done is I've just got a few quotes about him from other peers. Uh, Zidane said that if he was French, he or Perez would have been on the bench. (laughs) Uh, Del Pereiro said that um, only two players have made him cry when watching football. One was Maradona and the other one was Ryan Giggs. (laughs) Wow. And Brian Robson said that the first time he saw Giggsy, he was playing for Salford Boys against United's apprentices. It was thin and wiry, but he just glided by four of their apprentices. It, like they weren't even there. And he put the ball in the back of the net. And then Robson just thought to himself that this kid's an absolute natural. Yeah, I still, I'll be honest with you. One of my earliest memories of football is my dad was watching the the 1993 last games I think of the qualifying and one and that was England Holland with the Ronald Koeman free kick yeah and then there's the highlights of the Wales game which he was more annoyed about when Paul Bowden missed the penalty and then <laughs> Romania beat Wales and cost Wales a chance to play in the World Cup and um, that 
I remember that that day. My dad was distraught, but um, Wales had had so many good players in the day. Like if you even back in the two thousands, that you, you still can't believe that they didn't even get anywhere near it. To be honest, especially people like Ian Rush up front, Ian Rush and Mark Hughes. It's just unbelievable how they didn't get it. <laughs> but with regards to gigs, I've got, I have got a couple of um, stats for you if you want. And um, that is, he's made 632 appearances for Man U. Um, that means 46,000 total minutes of Premier League football. He had 162 career assists in the Premier League. He won 407 Premier League matches during his career and only was on the losing side 87 times. Obviously, there's that goal against uh, Arsenal. The FA Cup. That yeah, goal of the season, wasn't it? Iconic goal, wasn't it? Don't really, like you say, we don't really need to speak too much about him, do we? He's just incredible force of nature. The... What the one thing I can say is a criticism as from a Welsh family <laughs> and their whole release gigs release um, for friendlies and how Fergie liked to not release him was that out of 40 friendlies, he missed out on 30 of them, which was an interesting stat. Um, but he did. He was capped still 64 times. He scored 12 goals. And like I said, um, Nowly missed out on the World Cup in 1993, slash the 94 USA one. Weary one from Vieira. Giggs gets past Vieira, past Dixon. Who comes back at him. It's a wonderful run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! In the second period of extra time, he's cut Arsenal to ribbons, and the team with 10 men go back in front 2 1. That'll be you next, Dan, number six. OK, so number six, this is a, a player I might have to um, inform the listeners about because I hadn't heard of him until I stumbled across him. And that's Vasilis Hatsipanagi. Oh, OK. <clears throat> yeah, never heard of him. You can inform right. me and Ant as well, please. He <laughs> uh, was known as the Greek Maradona. And also the footballing Nuriev. Uh, Nuriev's regarded as one of the best uh, male ballet dancers in the world, <laughs> if you didn't know. And this was due to his gifted footwork and his speed and dribbling ability. Now, he was born in Uzbekistan to Greek parents who were political refugees following the collapse of the Democratic Army of Greece in the Greek Civil War back in the, the 1940s. Now, he uh, made his debut for a team called uh, Pactacor, age 17, in 1972. And he made 92 appearances for them. And he helped earn them promotion to the Soviet Supreme League in 1975. And he was picked to play for the Soviet Union in Olympic qualifying matches in 1975. Uh, Despite this, there were really strict rules which did not allow any foreigners to compete in the Soviet Supreme League. 
so he wasn't eligible to play in that top division now they recognized his talent and they wanted to make him a Russian citizen but uh, around the same time the reign of uh, the people that had taken power in Greece had, had come to an end so Hatsipanagi and his family decided to move back to Greece and he signed for the Athens-based club Iraklis. Now, such was his reputation that when he arrived, the arena was sold out for his debut match. Uh, I watched an interview and the Greek fans thought that he was an alien. They'd never seen a player that could do things with a football that he could do. He had complete control over a football. And he instantly became a cult hero. Teams would try and uh, double up and triple up to mark him, but he'd still just dribble straight at them and often he'd be successful. He had so much skill that he could just maneuver the ball around them while running at them and collect it. He'd do feints and he'd quite often um, change direction very quickly as well. Incredible talent. And I'd employ you to go and watch some of this guy on YouTube because the Greek Maradona is a very good description of the guy. It's hard to not to think of Maradona when you watch this guy play. Now, unsurprisingly, he was called up to the Greek national team and he played for them in 1976. But shortly after this, FIFA reacted by quickly banning him from making any further appearances, stating that he'd already played at a national level for the Soviet Union in those Olympic qualifying matches. So he wasn't allowed to play any more international matches. Despite this, there was interest from Lazio, Arsenal, Porto and Stuttgart. But the Iraklis board feared the consequences of selling their crowd favourite and they were determined not to let him leave under any circumstances. And he never did. He played the rest of his career at Iraklis. Uh, he got further recognition, though, for um, being selected to play in a World eleven in uh, the USA. And this uh, team consisted of teammates such as Franz Beckenbauer, Mario Kempes, Kevin Keegan, Peter Shilton, Jean-Marie Pfaff, your favourite aunt. <laughs> Hugo See, I'm only glad I did that. Good about the skewer now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was, it was selected for this all-star lineup. Uh, in 1999, uh, nine years after he'd retired, he was honoured by the Greek Football Federation and brought in for an international friendly against Ghana. So he actually played an international match for them nine years after he'd retired. <laughs> this was just to honour him. And uh, in 2003, to celebrate UEFA's 50th anniversary, he was selected as Greece's golden player of the past 50 years by the Greek Football Federation. So um, he was aged 50 by this point And he said it's very touching to know that you're not forgotten And your contribution is uh, appreciated Even after so many years I regret not having Been able to wear the Greek national jersey More than once And I also regret not having tested my skills In a more competitive league His only honour with Heraclis Was to lift the Greek Cup in 1976 but um, an intriguing statistic about um, one of his performances in the 1982-83 season, he's achieved the record of scoring seven goals directly from a corner in a single season. <laughs> crazy. That's a crazy stat, mate. That is mental, isn't it? But yeah, you've got, you got to check this guy out on YouTube. He was phenomenally gifted and he just never took the leap to play at a top football club. 
but there's no denying his talent. I would have, and he, he should he should have been playing at a World Cup, no doubt. No, that's a great one, mate. Never heard of him until you mentioned that. No, I'd, I'd never heard of him before. I was doing some digging, but yeah, I found a gem there. Brilliant. Right then, my number six is John McGovern. Have you ever heard of him? I've heard of him. No. Okay. He was a central midfielder. He's basically um, the main man to every one of where Brian Clough's uh, managerial teams that he managed. He seemed oh, to follow yeah. him everywhere. <laughs> he, he actually was uh, started off in Hartlepool where Clough was a manager back in 67, 68. Got promotion uh, to the third division. Sorry, got promotion to yeah, the third division with Clough. Uh, he moved to Derby when Brian Clough uh, was manager again. And he would win the second division title in 1969 and the league championship title in 1972. So within an 18-month period, by the time he was at 19, he actually managed to play in four divisions of the Football League. Pretty good start. That is the start of your career. Yeah, yeah I like that. Um, so Clough tried to bring McGovern to Brighton Hove Albion, um, but McGovern found the prospects of playing in the third division not particularly uh, desirable. Obviously, that's where Clough was going to, but then he was actually pulled in to replace Don Re- Revy, sorry, at Leeds from the Damn United. You'll know that he was then signed. Um, by Leeds as a double transfer with John O'Hare uh, for 125,000 now age 24 so as we all like I say all aware of the Dam United and his reign of 42 days that Brian Clough had at Leeds and after his de- uh, departure McGovern was tied by uh, for being part of Clough's regime by Leeds player he was trying to be shipped off, shipped off, sorry, to various clubs like Carlisle and Norwich, but McGovern refused to leave. Um, but by that time, Brian Clough then got a job at Nottingham Forest. So um, McGovern then moved there in early 1975 to join him. He actually spent eight years at Nottingham Forest. He captained the club to successive European Cups in 79 and 80. Also won the League Cup, League Championship, Charity Shield and European Super Cup. He made a total of 411 Nottingham Forest first team appearances. He ended up moving to Bolton, but then um, left Bolton to focus on a career in management. But amazingly, he only ever had one under-21 Scotland cap. He has said in the past that he would have walked through broken glass to have got that one Scotland cap. I can only think that in those times you got Graham Souness there, not particularly thought of getting into the squad. But quite unbelievable, isn't it? Someone who's won two European Cups as captain never made... in. An international at Scotland. Yeah, surprising stats when you put it like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, that is my number six anyway, so. Gemmell. To McGovern. 
McGovern waited for it and he hit it just right. What about you then, Ant? You're number six. Uh, I've gone with George Ware. He's my number five. You're number three there, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We can save him. We'll we'll, we'll wait. Yeah, it's fine. I've I've not written much anyway on him. No. Because, again, Um, he speaks for himself. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to an extent, yeah. Number five, Dan. My number five was Ryan Giggs. Cool. Well, my number five was George Weyer. So, (laughs) quickly back to you, Ant, number five. Okay, bear with me. This was a very, very late entry. So, um, oh, okay. I've gone with Gunnar Nordahl. Oh yeah, okay. okay. So he was he was Swedish, and in nineteen uh, nineteen fifty, Sweden qualified for the for the World Cup. Um, but and they just won the nineteen forty eight Olympics. But. Uh, at the same time, three of their best players, um, Gunnar Gren, Gunnar Nordahl and Nils uh, Laidholm, had all signed a professional contract with AC Milan. Um, and you, you think they'd be a good thing, but unfortunately, the Swedish were determined to only have only players that played in Sweden playing the 1950 World Cup. Right. So they basically shot themselves in the foot because their three best players had gone off to Italy to play football. So anyway, they, they made it into they made it into World Cup and they got thrashed by um, Brazil. They narrowly lost to uh, Uruguay, who went on to win it, and they, they they beat Spain. But Nordahl had scored forty three goals in thirty three appearances for Sweden prior to this World Cup. And then he, he then netted 35 times in the 1949-1950 Serie A season. And a year later, he, he you know, AC Milan went on to win to win the first title in 44 years. Um, so it just makes you wonder how effective he you know, they could have been, especially him, um, in the 1950 World Cup. Yeah. Anyway, 1958. Uh, Sweden hosted the World Cup and their FA broke this rule. They said, right, we're going to have players from all over because they wanted the best players. They wanted to win win the World Cup. Um, but unfortunately for Nordahl, he had retired the year before in football. Uh-huh. So there we have it. Sweden had this great trio of players and two of them, like, two of them went on to play in 1958. Um, but unfortunately, Nordahl had hung up his boots. Um, and Sweden, whilst they made the final, they ended up losing to Brazil. Obviously, who had Pele and Garincha playing for him. But it does make you wonder, had Nordahl had played for Sweden at the World Cup, whether they would have actually done something. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good one to put in. Yeah, a really good one. Right, so Dan, your number... One to four? Yeah, number four, I've got Bernd Schuster. Oh, yes. Hey. We should be sponsored by this man, I tell you. I mean, we've done about his whole career. <laughs> we now. haven't mentioned him for a while. It's been a few pods that we've not mentioned him, to be fair. Yeah. 
I know. I was almost reluctant to add him onto the list, to be honest, because we've mentioned his whole career so far. Uh, he, he was nailed on. He was nailed on to be on the list. <laughs> I put him down quite low, and then I'm, I started reading up again on what his achievements I were, and I, I thought, I can't put this guy down at number seven. He's, he's too good for that. You, you um, see, I felt a bit sorry. I felt a bit sorry that we put him so high on other things, and I thought, but then there's so many other bits that are a little bit interesting, <laughs> aren't they, to do with everything? So. I can understand why you put him at number four. So I'll leave you to to explain why there, Dan. First of all, I've put that he didn't play at a World Cup mainly because of a series of busts up with managers over the years at international level. And then to just survive putting him at number four, he won the Euro 80 tournament with West Germany. And then uh, other titles included winning the Cup Winners' Cup with Barcelona. He won La Liga three times. And he won the Copa del Rey seven times between his stints at uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico. He was a Ballon d'Or runner-up on one occasion and he came third place on two occasions. So that gives you an idea of the quality of the player. Yeah, I can I can add a bit more to this. Um, so yeah, like you said, he um, you've already spoke about the 1980 European Championships. So I don't need to mention that. But what happened after that was that he fell out with his club coach, um, Karl Heinz uh, Hedegott at uh, Colm. Um, and they decided to cash in, uh, cash in on him. Um, and he was talking about a move to New York Cosmos, which didn't go down very well with Germany coach uh, Jupp Derwal. And he said that if he goes to New York, he won't be selected for the German national team. Um, obviously, eventually... Uh, just to end up at Barcelona. So anyway, he, he moved to Barcelona. He got back into Derwal's squad for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. Uh, yet he was then excluded again because um, he refused to go to a party thrown by a fellow international. Um, <laughs> <laughs> allegedly, because Schuster just didn't like him. Um, <laughs> Derwal had this idea of like a big squad spirit and all this. So he's, he said, right, well, she just doesn't like whoever it was and he's not he's not being part of uh, my squad. And then by the time the 1982 World Cup rolled around, um, as we've spoken about before, Schuster had suffered a knee injury by uh, Gokachur. He was already having sort of disagreements with other fellow countrymen and he refused to travel to Albania with the national team in 1984. Um, instead electing to be present at the birth of his child. I mean, uh, to be fair, that's fair enough. And again, that just had a knock-on effect and people frowned upon him for it. And he eventually announced retirement from international football. And he's still in his mid-20s, I believe. He's about 24, I think. Yeah, he was 24. Obviously, uh, West Germany crashed out of Euro 84 at, at the group stages and um, Derwal paid his job and Franz Beckenbauer came in and even he couldn't persuade him to come back to international football so yeah there we have it wow yeah he's, he's definitely a unique character wasn't he Arsuska yeah, yeah. Um, even the, the great Franz Beckenbauer couldn't even persuade him I mean I mean I think missing the game for the birth of your child I think that is fair enough I mean maybe missing the parties oh, you don't yeah. like someone is a bit pathetic but the birth of your child's a bit different. Yeah, it is just slightly. I, I do understand that one, but not going to a party because he didn't like. 
Just talk to someone else. Is that, is that German <laughs> arrogance, though? You can't beat it, can you? You know, no other country would probably do that. Everyone else would just probably have just gone there and had a few drinks and left quietly. But no, brilliant. <laughs> Behind door number 16, we find the legendary Ben Schuster, the perfect player for Christmas time with his nickname, the Blonde Angel. This wonder goal from 1994 was the goal of the decade in Germany. A sensational strike, not unusual for Schuster. One man was voted first, second and third for goal of the year in 1994, Ben Schuster, the Blonde Angel, one of a kind. Right, yo. Uh, so that was your guys number four, wasn't it? That's right, yep. Okay, so my number four was Ryan Giggs. So I think, did you say you had George Weir at number three? That's right. Yeah, I've got George Weir at number three, who's uh, widely regarded as one of the greatest African footballers of all time. He won the African Football of the Year Award in 1989, 1994, 1995. And he was known for his acceleration, his speed, his dribbling ability. And he was one of the first strikers to operate both outside the area and inside the area with the way that he'd collect the ball and then drive at goal from distance. And he was signed from a Cameroonian club in 1988 by Monaco for £12,000 after Arsene Wenger personally flew out to meet Weir and uh, Weir later went on to credit Wenger with uh, turning him into a world-class footballer, and he was very thankful for the time that they got to spend together. He helped Monaco lift the French Cup in 1991, and they reached the Cup Winners' Cup final in 1992. His performances were impressive, and uh, he was bought by PSG, where he won the league title with them in 1994, and also he won a French Cup with them either side of that in 1993-95. Uh, PSG got to the semi-final of the Champions League and Weir was the top scorer in the competition in 94-95. And this culminated with him winning the 1995 Ballon d'Or award. And to this day, he's the only African player to ever win the award. He was then signed by AC Milan and they immediately won the Serie A title with him and uh, Fabio Capello, another all-star Milan lineup alongside the likes of Roberto Baggio, Paolo Maldini. Uh, in the first game of the 96-97 season, Weir scored a very a very memorable wonder goal against Hellas Verona, where he uh, collected the ball on the edge of his own penalty box after a corner was against them. And he took the ball the length of the pitch, rounding several players before rifling the ball in the top corner. I'm sure you remember the goal. He had no right to score yeah. that. I watched <laughs> it today. He had no right to score that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, in 1996, uh, the AC Milan played Porto in the Champions League and um, there was an incident with George Costa, the centre-back who played for Porto and later had a spell at Charlton. Uh, Weir said that he became sick of hearing the racist taunts from Costa and he, in the tunnel, he punched him in the nose and broke it. <laughs> and for this, he received a six-match ban. Uh, but strangely, at the end of the season, he still won a fair play award. <laughs> <laughs> Says it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was um, he was that well loved at that point. He was past his prime and, and in the twilight of his career when he had brief spells at Chelsea and Man City, and uh, he didn't get many first team opportunities when he played for these clubs. 
So I've not added a whole lot um, to my notes there. But um, for his national team, Liberia, they never qualified for a World Cup as they're very much a developing football nation. And they did appear at the African Cup of Nations with Weir in the side, but they didn't uh, achieve much success in the tournament. Uh, but as a developing nation, Weir actually took it upon himself to personally um, help the team progress by coaching some of the players there and funding the training equipment there as well for some of his teammates. Uh, he returned to the national team for a specially arranged friendly against Nigeria on the 11th of September 2018. And this was his final international appearance playing at the age of 51 while in office as the country's president. <laughs> Unbelievable guy, isn't he, really? Yeah, amazing. I mean, they, it is sad in a way that they came, I think they came within a point of qualifying in 2002. Yeah. yeah. They missed yeah. out by, by a point, and he yeah. must have been gutted. Lost to Ghana, didn't they? Well, I'm not sure if he was still playing 2002, actually, thinking about it. but Yeah, they said he was 36 yeah, was. years old. Was he 36? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he retired in 2003. Uh, that would have been his swan, swan song. Yeah, it's a it's shame. shame. But no, it's just like you said, his goal against Verona, he's just, it's just mad. The pace and determination to get that goal, it was just unbelievable. And just an unbelievable player, wasn't he, really? For his time, he was almost sort of 10, year, 10 years before his time. I mean, it's such a shame, though, he didn't come to the Premier League earlier, though, wasn't it? You know, you got, he, like you said, he was very much the sub- substitute appearances. What if they had him in 98, 96, 97? You know, that would have been interesting, wouldn't it, if one of the clubs had him then? No one had the money to buy him back then. Probably why. But Yeah, but it, it's just a shame, though, because it's obviously... It is you know, the Premier League's the best... I mean, it wasn't at the time. No, at the time, Serie A was the best league, and that's why... You could say the Syria. same about <laughs> Vieri, Del, Del Piero... There wasn't the the rich oil barons in the Premier League back in the mid nineties. And we leave you with what we believe is the best goal in Serie A this season from the opening day from George Ware of Milan. Till next season, Arrivederci. My number three was Eric Cantona. Uh, what was he the same for you, Anne? No, he's my number nine. Well, okay. Oh, um, uh, so he started his season at Uxair, played five seasons there, made his international debut whilst playing there as well. Spent time at uh, Martigay, Marseille, Bordeaux, Montpellier, and then before moving to Leeds. Unfortunately, Cantona had quite a few disciplinary problems which followed him through his career. I'll quickly list you some altercations that he had. Um, in 1987, he was fined for punching teammate Bruno Martini in the face. He was in trouble because of a dangerous kung fu tackle on non-player Michel de Zakrunan, resulting in a three-month suspension, low to two months. Uh, January 
1989, during a friendly against Torpedo Moscow, he kicked the ball at the crowd, then ripped off and threw away his shirt after being substituted. He was banned for a month for that. At Montpellier, he was involved in a fight with teammate Jean-Claude Lamour and threw boots at his face. The incident led to six players demanding that Cantona were to be sacked. The club retained his services, although he banned him from the ground for 10 days. During a month for Nim, he threw the ball at the referee. He was angered by one of the decisions and was banned for one month. He, he then had a trial, first of all, in 1992 at uh, Sheffield Wednesday. This trial consisted of Eric playing an indoor game, but Trevor Francis wanted him to play on a grass pitch for an extra week, which obviously Cantona said, no, 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 I don't need to prove myself twice. And uh, Leeds snapped him up. Obviously he played for Leeds and they promptly won the Leeds title. Cantona then moved from Leeds to Man United for 1.2 million in 1992 and was given the iconic number seven shirt. In five years at Man United, he made 182 appearances, scoring 82 goals, won four Premier Leagues, two league and FA Cup doubles. Um, Unfortunately, his international career uh, got off to a rocky start under Henri Michel, after being dropped for a game. Cantona called Michel a bag of shit during a television television interview. Um, Cantona was then banished, I'm afraid, for that. Uh, Michel was sacked after failing to guide France to the World Cup finishing one point behind Scotland in the qualifications. So Platini took charge, reinstated Cantona. After a poor 1992 showing, Platini resigned and was placed by a certain Gerard Houdier. Uh, but he failed to lead the country to the 1994 World Cup after France lost to Israel, conceding two goals in, nine, in the 90th minute on a home loss to Bulgaria when only needing two points to qualify from two games. Can anyone remember that when Ginola decided to play City Brothers? Uh, Instead of going to the corner flag, tried to whip in across to Cantona, and then they counter-attacked and scored. Then he did something at uh, Salas Park. I don't know if you guys remember. (laughs) (laughs) Where he came through and kicked a fan. I didn't hear that. Giving a heavy punishment. And was placed was was replaced in France's national team by a certain Zinedine Zidane. Second time we mentioned him in this podcast. Uh, by that time, he served the club. Move, um, sorry, France moved on. They won the World Cup without him, and then he just retired from football. I mean, he scored some important goals, like uh, the FA Cup final against Liverpool. Scored that goal through about five players. And also the goal against um, Newcastle when they beat them 1-0 to help them win the title. But he's a, a pretty erratic person, but a fantastic player. Got anything else to add on? Uh, no, I think you just about covered it, to be honest with you, mate. Cool, cool. Cantona. <laughs> How to create space and then weave past a couple of defenders. McClare, here's Cantona. He's done it. That is magnificent by Cantona. 
And after all his problems and his lack of form and the criticism that's come his way, there is the perfect riposte. What was your number three there, mate? Um, it was George Best. My number one. I've got George Best down as my number two. I guess you can start us off then, Dan. That's okay. Uh, it's fine by me. He's uh, renowned for his uh, speed, his, his technical dribbling ability, his feints, and um, quite a rare ability to be very two-footed with his dribbling as well. Uh, he won the first division with Man United in 64-65 and the 66-67 seasons. And he helped them to lift the European Cup in 1968 when he was aged just 22. He was also the joint top scorer in the first division in 68. And he was the awarded the Football Writers Player of the Year in 1968, as well as winning the Ballon d'Or. So that was uh, definitely the peak for best. Uh, but he did uh, become United's top goal scorer for five consecutive seasons until his last season with them in 71-72. And he announced his retirement then, aged 26. That's a really condensed summary of his career. But um, aside from the, the football, he um, obviously he had his, uh, his demons with alcoholism and... Um, it, being a professional athlete, he was able to hide that quite well. But um, it started to shine through where he'd uh, just disappear for days at a time. And then it'd come out in the media that he'd, he'd been with a girl and he wasn't that bothered about it either. But um, to um, retire at age 26 when you're that talented, it's uh, such a shame, isn't it? Massively, yeah. Well, just go back to be, um, at the beginning of his career, he was actually turned down by Glenn Torren, his local club, for being too small and light. Unbelievable, really, isn't it? He obviously showed some fight to obviously get himself bigger and get himself out of Northern Ireland to, to try and get to um, Manchester. But even before he actually signed a pro contract, he um, got homesick when he was actually at Man U as an apprentice. And... Um, went back home after ten, two days being homesick. And then he spent two years as an amateur at Man United before actually having that first prom, um, professional contract. Uh, he was obviously catapulted to start um, superstar status at 19, where he scored two goals in the European Cup quarterfinal against Benfica. And then the Portuguese media dubbed him Oh, Canty Beetle, as in the fifth Beetle member. And um, back in 1982, when Northern Ireland finally did qualify for a World Cup, there was a, a huge amount of talk by the media that the head coach, Billy Bingham at the time, was actually looking to call up George Best at the age of 36. There's even talk that he's moving from... USA to uh, Middlesbrough to get his fitness up, but that was that was squashed. So unfortunately, he never got to play in a big big tournament. He did famously call international football recreational football, and he wanted Northern Ireland and England teams to merge as well. 
there's there's one there's one fa- there's one quote that I did get from him that just showed what sort of guy he was really and sort of a you only live once sort of kind of guy. And it was um this. It was I spent a lot of money on booze, birds and fast cars. The rest I just squandered. I used to go missing a lot. Miss Canada, Miss United Kingdom, Miss World. <laughs> I stopped drinking. I gave up women and alcohol. It was the worst 20 minutes of my life. <laughs> I think that just sums the guy up, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I put him number one. Just immense talent. It's just a shame he just didn't last longer. That's all, all you wanted, really, wasn't it? I had um, I found a going back to the 1982 World Cup. I found a, a quote from him. He got asked about the Northern Northern Ireland manager asking him to play in the 1982 World Cup finals, and he said, "I was really fit at the time. I was playing weekly for an American team. Um, I was playing racquetball up to three hours a day. Uh, the problem was my American team were really awful, and Billy Bingham came to watch me in a tour game at, at, at Hibs, and we got slaughtered." So he was then a bit under pressure to pick me, I suppose, because what he'd seen wasn't very impressive. But he just said he, he wished that he'd just been there as part of a squad player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just think, though, like as a younger player going there and you had someone like George Best even as a squad player, that would just have boosted the confidence, wouldn't it? Or turned them, them all down the wrong path. I don't know. Yeah. Either <laughs> yeah. or. <laughs> It's just, it's like the Gaza thing, isn't it? I guess exactly the same scenario that Hoddle had with Gaza, wasn't it? You yeah. could either take them down the right way or the wrong way. Yeah, shame. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm glad that we picked him in our top three anyway. Yeah. So that was your number three. Am I right, Dan? That was my number two. Number two. My number three. Yeah, so your number three and my number one. Wow. Well, what more can you get from that then? We're obviously a good judge of character, aren't we? <laughs> character. All <laughs> in the sun, but it was best who picked up that kid flick. Driven wide. Right then, my number two is Laszlo Kabala. Same. Kabala. I put basically he was the first real number number ten that Barcelona had before Messi. Free kick specialist. He was very skillful at dribbling, composed, and a very powerful finisher. So Kabula represented three nations during his career. That was Czechoslovakia, Hungary, and Spain. And play. I'm playing a total of nine times for Czechoslovakia, the country of his birth. By his early 20s, Kabula was already a prolific goalscorer, having played for Budapest sides, Gantz, T.E. and Verkanovski, and also briefly for the Hungarian national team before moving to Czechoslovakia to play for SK Slovan Bratislava in 1946. Well, just skip a few years, and in May 1949, Cabula was invited to play for num- uh, number two Gran Torino, 
one of the greatest football teams I've ever been. Naturally, Kabuta accepted, but on brink of departure, he had his exhausted wife arrive in Italy, clutching his seriously ill son, uh, Branco. His decision to stay in Italy and temporary son proved the most significant point in his life. During the return flight, unfortunately, the plane carrying the whole of the team crashed, unfortunately killing all, all 31 people on board. Uh, he, he played three times for his country of birth, Hungary, before fleeing the country for evading mandatory military service and was banned for one year. In 1951, he joined Barcelona, where he played 186 games, scoring an incredible 131 goals and also representing Spain at this time. I've um, got a couple of just brief stories for, for you. Apparently, his shirt was ripped from his body by defenders when playing against Brazilian side Botafogo. Um, but he played on and scored bare-chested during that game. <laughs> his exciting playing style drew in the crowds for Barcelona, which helped them basically construct the Camp Nou. Cabrera played 19 times and scored 11 goals for Spain between 53 and 61 before being one of the small groups who have played the country having been born elsewhere. He also played for Catalonia as well. Uh, Spain's attempt to qualify for the 1954 World Cup were by the fact that the FIFA didn't have a clue on the concept of aggregate scores. They beat Turkey 4-1 at home and lost the away tie 1-0. A playoff was required. It ended up 2-0 and Spain lost on drawing locks. Well, fancy losing on drawing locks. Smart, isn't it? Um, Spain did qualify um, for the 1962 World Cup, but he was injured. That's what I've got for him. Got any more to add? Uh, yeah, I've just got a little bit about his early life. Um, obviously, like you said, he, he was born in Budapest and he moved to Czechoslovakia to avoid military service, playing six times for them. He then <laughs> returned to Hungary to avoid turning out in uniform for the Czechoslovakians and he played three times for Hungary. And then just as Hungary would sort of starting to show that they're actually quite a promising team, um, he buggered off to Spain, basically, to avoid communi- communi- communism. The Hungarian FA didn't like this at all, and they accused Kibala of stealing vast sums of money from Budapest-based club side of Vassas, and they suspended him for life, and they uh, even said that he might have to spend a bit of time in, in jail for it. Somehow or another, FIFA got involved, and he ended up signing for um, Barcelona. Uh, it's not quite clear where, as to whether Kubala did go to Spain with a big bag of cash in his hand. Who knows? Um, but it ended up that he he actually had plans to sign for Real Madrid. He'd been spotting, spotted playing for a, a bunch of Duran exiles, and he was a bit pissed up on booze and he got on the wrong train and ended up in Barcelona. <laughs> he liked his drink, I must admit. Yeah. I looked then, at some of his uh, 
bio on one of uh, the websites and they said that one of the managers of Barcelona took charge and wanted a no-drinking culture. And he went, no, no, no. I drink as much as I want and I party as much as I want. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely a character that that guy was. And then just going back to what you were saying about the 1954 World Cup qualification, um, obviously when they had had to have that playoff, uh, apparently a FIFA delegate stormed into the change room just before kickoff and said that Kubala was um, legible on account of having played for Hungary and Czechoslovakia. Anyway, this big debate went on for a couple of minutes and Kubala agreed not to play in it, which might be why that they didn't win the playoff. <laughs> I think that's brilliant, isn't it? You know, just... Kubala suggested that FIFA didn't want to risk uh, facing the media darlings of Hungary at at a tournament, uh, Hungary were favourites to win whilst he was playing for Spain. That's why they reckon they banned him for playing in this playoff. Yeah. What you mentioned about where um, the ban that was put on him for life in Hungary, uh, when he when he did join Barcelona, FIFA got involved, like you said, and they actually upheld the ban for a year. So he signed for Barcelona. He wasn't he wasn't allowed to play for them. So what Barcelona did instead is that they arranged some friendlies against. Um, Frankfurter SV and Barcelona won 4-1 and 10-4 in these friendlies and Cabala scored six goals and assisted another five <laughs> and then yeah he, could, he couldn't play until the um, 51-52 season um, I've also got that and he scored seven goals in a nine goal win over Sporting Gijon which still stands as a La Liga record for the most goals in a game and in 1957, he came fifth in the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, I really, it's amazing that he, he managed to play for four countries, hypothetically. <laughs> Let alone, you know, nowadays you look at people that play for two, like Diego, obviously, is it Diego Costa? He's played for two, hasn't he? And you're like, how on earth has he managed that? But this guy's managed to play for four. It's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> and the poor guy never got to play in a World Cup either. How's it look? He, he did manage in a World Cup, though, so he did all right in the end, although Spain didn't get out of the group stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he went to a World Cup. <laughs> Your numero uno, please, Dan. Uh, numero uno, I've gone for Alfredo Di Stefano. Yeah, snap. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hans mentioned him before on his uh, greatest players list, so I'm, yes. I'm not... I've not made detailed notes, but... Um, <laughs> I've not either. <laughs> we've been through it all. Exactly. It's, it's all right. What we can do is we say to the listeners, it's fine, just go to episode three for your top ten yeah. ever footballers, and then that's fine. And they just have to listen 10. to the next two episodes to catch up. It's fine. <laughs> so he is a native of Argentina, and he, he managed to play for the national team of Argentina, um, but then there was a, a strike there where players weren't uh, being paid uh, to be professional footballers. So he left and went to Colombia and joined uh, Millionaires. And he turned out for the Colombian national team there. But then uh, after some good performances, he was scouted by Real Madrid and Barcelona and ended up signing for Real Madrid. In 1956, Real Madrid signed uh, Raymond Copper from Stad Reims to but the limit of foreign players in La Liga meant that uh, they had to wait for Di Stefano's Spanish naturalization 
and he became a Spanish citizen in 1956. And it was after this that he became eligible to play for the Spanish national team. So that was his third national team. But um, like we said with um, Kabbalah, the Spanish team struggled to qualify for a World Cup. And um, by the time they did, uh, Kabbalah was injured and went with the team. And the same happened to Di Stefano. He was injured, but he travelled with the team. So they both sat on the same bench watching the games for Spain. That's unbelievable. That's like having Messi and Ronaldo injured, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. But um, Di Stefano, he's, he's widely considered one of the greats of the game. He won eight La Liga titles with Real Madrid, five European Cups, and he won two Ballon d'Ors in his own right. But um, yeah, a great, great player that never graced the World Cup. I have nothing more to add on that. We've <laughs> covered it perfectly. Perfect then, isn't it? No, I think well done there with the list there, guys. You haven't put too many Welsh people in, which I, I didn't know whether that was your tempting to do. But no, a very diverse list. And uh, our top three was strangely quite similar. So obviously we're all on the same wavelength with that. Is there any special mentions this week? Special mentions, yeah. Do you want to go through yours first? I can do. I've only got two. They're all both quite short um i've gone with barry holshoff another another member that just missed out on the netherlands 1974 world cup um he was another one that was integral to the ajax side that won the european cups in 1971 to 1973 um unfortunately he was um injured in 1974 world cup which is obviously like i mentioned previously with josiah swart they came runners-up, and it is widely believed that had he played, they probably would have beaten Germany in the final. And the other one I have was just a personal favourite of mine, because um, he was he was one of my favourite players to go to on Championship Manager back in the day, is Jaffet Endorum. Oh, yeah. Of, of Nantes. Chad. Yeah. I mean, he plays internationally for Chad, who will probably never, ever reach a World Cup, because... They are a tiny little African country. Um, but he scored 72 goals in 192 appearances for Nantes. Um, and he netted 21 goals in the season that they finally won the league after 12 years. Unfortunately, he then moved to Monaco. He played 13 games and retired early due to injury. But he was another great striker that played for a smaller nation, unfortunately. That's my two. No, no, that's that's very good too there. What about yourself, um, Dan? Uh, just one. I went for Sebastiano Rossi, the um, AC Milan goalkeeper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Made 
240 appearances for Milan between 1990-2002. He won five Serie A titles and a Champions League title. He was a six-foot-six goalkeeper who um, was uh, physically strong and very good at uh, his aerial ability, claiming crosses. Also, his vocal presence in goal for organising his defence and his distribution and pace off his line were essential for Milan's high defensive line. And he held the longest streak without conceding a goal in Syria uh, with an 11-match span until the record was broken by Buffon in 2016. Uh, he, he never got capped by Italy. No, very unlucky, isn't it? Yeah. I had had two, actually. Dimitar Berbatov and actually a certain Andy Cole. Never played in the World Cup. Unbelievable, yeah. really, isn't it? To look at his stats at the Premier League. I don't think you're ever going to get another Englishman with 187 Premier League goals who doesn't play for England at a World Cup. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But we had Darius for sale, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, guys. Swings and roundabouts. Right then, so what the guy said on, on uh, social media, so Chris Kelly said George Best and Ryan Giggs, obviously never played, which we mentioned. Stu from the Stu and Al pod mentioned George Weyer. We've obviously quickly discussed him. Uh, the guys from 80s and 90s football, thanks a lot for, for the first time um, giving us your mentions. And that is uh, George Best, and Duncan Edwards. Obviously, Duncan Edwards was part of the Busby Babes that unfortunately passed away. Uh, he's, I think, think, 21 years old. I was very reluctant to put him in, to be honest, because obviously he never made any appearances for England before that. But from what I heard, he was absolute quality. He came third in a Ballon d'Or as well. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, so obviously the guy was going to make an appearance, wasn't he, at that level? Um, and then he's obviously put throwing Eric Cantona as well. Another one that's just coming to my head was David Ginola as well. But obviously, after his mistake that he made in the 94 World Cup qualifier, basically blacklisted, wasn't he? And people, and like we said, France progressed into probably more better things. Dan Wade obviously mentioned Tamori Tets Fire for both. As well as the top five boldies as well. Those <laughs> Georgians, so fair enough. Um, and finally, with regards to what Alex put, he mentioned Giggs and uh, David Ginola. So so that's what we've got. So I think we've got a good list there, guys. Some very obscure ones from you two, which if you never did it, I'll be very disappointed on, to be honest. <laughs> Thanks for my increasing my knowledge on pre-1992 football. Well, until about 7 o'clock tonight, my list was looking very obvious. So I thought <laughs> I was obscure ones at the last minute. It, it, it feels like today's been a very much a, a sort of back to the future episode with the people <laughs> that I mentioned. It, you know, it's, it's for, the, for the oldies, isn't it? Back in the day for them to remember. Yeah, especially your Uruguay goalkeeper from 1930. Uh, yeah, I know. And I'm giving myself a headache with that one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after fantastic, fun-packed episode, we've got 
the quiz. The serious of the of the pod, oh, I think now, after my incredible victory in the last episode, has opened up <laughs> surely a head-to-head that no one ever expected. So what's the, what is the scores on the doors, Dan? Tell us. It's 9-8-4. Right then, guys. Everyone ready to play? So it's 15 questions on this episode. Question one. Which French forward moved from Lyon to Atletico Madrid in January 2021 on loan with an option to buy for 33 million? From where, sorry? So it was from um, Lyon to Atletico Madrid. Is it Griezmann? Uh, It's not, no. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a clue. It's ex-Celtic. Dembele. Well, good. Rooster Dembele. So, one now Ant. So, this is a head-to-head. Question two. So, there are 10 players that have scored over 150 Premier League goals. Who are they? So, what I want you to do is one each. So, you say one, then Dan says one, and then tell whoever gets it wrong, yeah? I'm going to start off with Dan first. Alan Shearer. Sorry, mate, you're wrong. No, only joking, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Got me worried then. <laughs> uh, Andy Cole. Uh, yeah. Sergio Aguero. Yeah. Harry Kane. Uh, yeah. Wayne Rooney. Correct. So, obviously, Shearer, Rooney, Cole, Aguero, and Kane are gone now, Dan. I'm not done, sorry, Ant. Can you think of anyone else? Oh, um... Dig deep, mate. Dig deep. I know. Oh, there's so many names in the head, but I don't know if they've scored over 100. Cristiano. Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah? Final yeah. final answer? Yeah. No. Sorry, uh, mate. I wasn't I, sure about him. I'll give you the list, though. Um, obviously, you guys have said the top four. Bang on. So, Alan Shearer, Ray Rooney, Andy Cole, Sergio Aguero. Then we went with Frank Lampard, oh. Thierry Henry, no. <laughs> Robbie Fowler, Jermaine Defoe, and Michael Owen. Oh, I thought we were at least three of them before I said Ronaldo. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> very close, mate. Very close. Unlucky. Okay, so next one. Which league club plays at the county ground? Swindon. Correct, Dan. Well done. Two one. Come on, head down. Which Welsh player won his hundredth cap in a one nil win against Mexico on the last batch of internationals this year? Aaron Ramsey. Uh, no. Johnny Williams. Uh, no. Chris Gunter. 
Correct. Well done, Dan. Okay, so three one at the moment, guys. Okay, so th- th- this next one is what I've called "Who Am I?" So I'm going to give you a little get, a little bit of information if you can guess, and then I'll give you a bit more if you need a bit more. Okay. Okay. So the first bit is, I'm a 24 year old Brazilian signed in October last year. Signed in October. Want me to give you another clue? Yeah, go on. Philip okay. Coutinho. Pardon, sorry, mate? Philip Coutinho. Uh, no. All right. um, from Ren for about 20 million to a Premier League team. Oh, um, Rafinha. Well done, man. Three, two. Mm. The other bits I was going to give were the team is based in the north of England. I've scored six goals this season. I've come from an early promoted team. Well done. Okay, VAR at the bar special. Going to give you the teams. This has been picked purely at random from my little way of working things out. (laughs) So, (laughs) So here we go. So the first one we've got, we've got two on the trot of these. Uh, So this one is Beershot, Celtic, Southampton, Spurs, Montreal. Wanyama. (laughs) Well done, Adam. Okay, next one. Amin, Blackburn, Stoke, Sevilla, Rondes. Pardon? Uh, Nzonzi. Yeah. Pardon, Dan. Steven I was, was, was going to sneak in there, Dan, after you mispronounced it. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, before before you even finish, it was Roma, Galatasaray online, Ren online. Well done. Right then, next one. Which club did David Beckham make his league debut for? Preston. Correct. Well done. Five three. Come on, Ann. Right, Matt needs getting to in there too quickly. <laughs> wow, this is a gamble, one guys. You got yourself pen and paper handy. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on then. Okay, right then. Sven Goran Eriksson has managed 17 clubs. Can you name them? I'm going to go with Ant for your first bit. Oh, give me a minute. Um... Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry. That's what I said, the piece of paper. Managed, you say? I'm also going to give you head coached as well. Same thing. Um, I'll start with four. Reckon can go to five there, Dan? Yeah, I could go five. Okay, cool. Um, what do you reckon? Do you reckon you can go six or give Dan? I'll give six a crack. Okay, no worries. I've got to say to both of you, obviously this includes international teams as well. I was going to say, I thought it might. 
I'll, His whole career. I'll try seven. Oh, crikey. Confidence here, yeah. Jesus. He's had a long career, I must admit. Can you go eight, Ant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give yeah, eight. Yeah, happy with eight, okay. We're just under 50% of the way through, guys. Do you think you can go nine, Dan? Give it a try. Oh. Oh, now we're talking. Now, this is the crunch part now. Can you go ten? Yeah, I'm going to try it. Oh, you beauty. Okay. Dan, can you go 11? No, I don't think I can. Okay, fair enough. Right, oh, then, Alex, you got um, Let's get the obvious ones out of the way. Leicester. Uh, yeah. England. Yeah. Um... Man City. Yeah. Lazio. Yeah. For patch number four. Um, Mexico. That's five. Well done. Halfway there, mate. Christ. Struggling already. Uh, Sampdoria. Well done. That's six. This is make or break time. Uh, Philippines. You said Philippines there, mate. Continue. Got seven. Um, well, is that where he, is that where he's at currently? He's somewhere around there, isn't he? That was his that was his last one. Yeah. Last one, yeah, well gonna, yeah. Um, seventy percent of the way there. Well done. Something uh, uh, we already said. Um, I think you've got a couple there that stick out, and then you got probably one that's going to be a bit of a Benfica. You gone Benfica. Well, to be fair, mate, that's exactly right. He's done it a couple of times as well, so even better. How many I've got left? Two. Got two more left, mate. You've done really well, to be honest. Dan's put you put you in at a high number. Oh, um, Ivory Coast. Are you sure about that? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you only need one more, mate. So oh, come God. Help <laughs> yourself out. Um, I've got one locked and loaded. I'm sure you have, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. He's just ready to make it from there. <laughs> to be honest, I know it sounds horrible, but it is quite an obvious one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it has been mentioned on other podcasts. <laughs> no more clues. This is this is nail biting, I tell you. <laughs> oh, where else has it been? You um, you you've done the hard bit. This is the thing. No, no. I know there's an Italian club he's been at. Another one. That body. Um... Okay, I have to give you a couple more seconds, man. No, it's fine. Sorry. I'm 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 gonna go. 
Roma. You're saying Roma, yeah? Yeah. You got the point the hard way, mate. Well oh, done. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Right, then, I'll give you the list of what you what is Matt. Uh, Dego for IF, which, of course, you guys would have known. Yeah. <laughs> uh, IFK, Gothenburg, then Benfica, Roma, Fiorentina, mm-hmm. Sampdoria, Lazio, England, Man City, Mexico, Ivory Coast, Leicester, Gunzanju, RNF, Shanghai, Shizen, Philippines, and Notts County. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, Notts County. <laughs> So you did it the hard way, Ann. Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> you did it. I didn't think you were going to do it, mate. I'll be honest with you. No, I, I, I thought oh, yeah. in my head I had loads of them when I actually, actually thought about were it. Were you like, going to go Sampdoria? I said Sampdoria. Oh, sorry, Fiorentina. Um, no, I think no. I was going to go. It was either Juventus or Roma. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm glad fair I went Roma. Right then, we've got ourselves another gamble question, which I'm saying with great glee. So one of our favourites at VAR at the bar. It is a starting lineup one. This is the night of what the Wally with the Brony. So we're going back to the qualifier versus Croatia with their famous loss in 2007. The three-two defeat. How many can you name from the starting lineup? So I'm gonna to have to go Dan first with this one. Is it only England players we're talking about? Sorry, only England players. Sorry about okay. that. Um, I'll go four. Oh, four. I mean, five, four as well. I'll go five. No, you can name them. I don't like them. Oh God. <laughs> Go on then, um, I'm struggling to remember what year it was. Okay, uh, Scott Carson. Correct, obviously. <laughs> Gerard. Uh, that's correct. He was captain actually for that game. Ah. There you go. Very useless information. <laughs> Mr. Lampard. Going for Franny Lamb. You're on to three, mate. Two more left, mate. Two more. Micka Richards. I'm swear he's mentioned it in a BBC podcast. <laughs> wow. That's a great shout. Jesus. <laughs> hey, you should start watching these matches of day podcasts. You learn an awful lot of things. That's a great That is an incredible shout. Well done. Um, one more to snatch this one. He's doing it the hard way here, Dan. <laughs> I'm going to stick my neck out, quite literally. Peter Crouch. Go on, Peter Crouch. You only managed to level the game up. Well done. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well done, mate. I think I probably could have got about one more. After that, I was out. Well, I'll be honest with you. I thought that Red Herring was going to be David Beckham. But he came on as a sub. Probably would have been the first one I said, to be fair. <laughs> oh, I yeah. wish I let Dan do it now, number four. <laughs> four. 
So the, the team was Scott Carson, Mika Richards, Sol Campbell, Jodan Lescott, Gav Barry, Wayne Bridge, Joe Cole, Stephen Gerrard, Franny Lampard, Sean Wright Phillips and Peter Crouch. I didn't realise Beckham was still playing back then, to be honest, in 07. He came on at half-time, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, five all. Okay, so, and Gamble. Oh. Can you, name <laughs> the six, can you name the six teams that Nanny has played for? Oh, Christ, no. <laughs> Two. Two. Can you go three? 50%? I'm going to have to. <laughs> hey, that's just putting it out of the bag here, mate. You're, you're, having, you're going to have to do something here. So, yeah, I'll You'd go through. I'd be happy to know that this is the last gamble question, Thanks, guys. Thank God for that. <laughs> well, you've nailed two points. Well, right? I know two. it's my specialty, but it's still like <laughs> racks and brain cells. Dan, it's all yours, mate. At three? Yeah. Can you do four, mate? That's three quarters of his playing career. He needs to do three. So, um, Man United. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Man United. Sport in Lisbon. Yeah, you need one more. Mm, I know there's a Turkish club in there. Which one? Oh, your beauty. Game changer. I'm going to take a punt on Fenerbahce. So Dan's gone Fenerbahce, yeah? This is a high-class game here, boys. And Dan's just taken the point. Well done, Dan. (laughs) We're not lying there. Fair play. Fair play. Fair play. I mean, the other other three, he's at the moment. Valencia, wasn't it? Pardon, mate? Valencia, I remember Valencia. Yeah, he was at Valencia and he was at Lazio. So 6-5, this is like nail-biting, guys. Okay, question 12. Which player has been booked the most in the Premier League this season? He's from a top four club. Cancelo or someone. He's uh, international. International? For his country. Fernandinho? Pardon? Fernandinho? No. He's from one of the top two teams in the Premier League at the moment. Bruno Fernandes? No. We'll give you two more guesses. Gundogan? Uh, no, you've got one more left, Dan. Hans has got two. Going to go with one, Ant. Um, racking my brain. Harry Maguire? Correct. Hey. Slabhead himself. Slabhead. Okay, it's six all, guys. I mean, that's right. <laughs> Playing the game of his life to stay afloat. <laughs> okay, next question. 
What is special about FC Vadens in the Swiss League? Uh, they're not based in Switzerland, are they? Is it Lithuania? I'll give you it. Um, they're based in Liechtenstein. Uh, no, you shouldn't have it. Shouldn't have it for that. Wrong country. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> <and> void. <laughs> I didn't have a clue. Okay, come on now, Anne. Can you take it to the last question? I don't know whether you will be, but let's see. Who is the national coach of Italy? Oh God, I know his name. I saw it recently. He's the next Premier League manager, guys. Oh. Mancini. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot. Well, you know what? This is perfectly good for the last game. So, (laughs) six. We've got here seven on. Nine, eight in games. And it's going to the last pass form. Here we go. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to think about it, obviously, before asking for it. How many goals for Brazil did Ronaldo score in his 98 appearances? The nearest wins. Well, we'll win oh, the actual game. Oh, God. I'll, How I'll do you want to do it? I'll give you a couple of seconds and then I'm going to go to Dan first. How many games did he play? He played 96. No, sorry, 98. Apologise. Okay, I think I'm ready. Are you ready there, Ant, as well with yours? Yeah. Okay, so like I say, I said Dan first. So what was yours? I'm going to go with 62. 62. And Ant? I was going to say 60. You went 60. And you were really close, mate. But Dan has actually hit it on the head. <laughs> I think I saw it recently. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't argue with that. If you're going to win it, you win it in style. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well done. Yeah, I think Eight I saw seven. that very recently. So <laughs> that's why I managed to get it. Fantastic game, guys. Top of the table clash. Couldn't have expected any more from EW. Well done. Um, I'll just go through the socials before we go. Uh, so if you want to tweet us, then please tweet us at B-A-R, B-A-R, sorry, at the bar one. Or you can email us at VAR at the bar 2020 at gmail.com. Like I say, with anything at all, with your lists, or if you agree, disagree with anything that we say or anything like that, be more than welcome to take that on board and obviously mention it on the next pod. So if you can do that, it'd be great, guys. With a, I've come up with a list for next time. Oh, God, here we go. Dan, <laughs> what is your list for the next episode? Well, because the, the end of the season's rapidly approaching, I thought we'd do our top 10 Premier League end-of-season finales. So that the last game of the season, okay. your top 10 matches Hello. that fell on the last game of the season. Oof, your beauty. That's going to be a good one. Anything for your top fives? I've had a few ideas, but I've not settled on one yet. 
Okay, and that's no problem. I can pull it, whack it onto social media when, when, when you've decided. Yeah, thank you. So just to repeat then, so the top 10 last final day thrillers, basically. Yep. For the top 10 um, in the Premier League. And we'll go through them next episode. So I think that's about it from us now. So that's me, Chris, saying bye. Bye for me. See ya. Network.